0: Gotta love that jingle. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Starburst TV. Today's topic is data virtualization in the cloud era. And I'm happy to have today on the show, Dr. Daniel Abadi and Andy Mott, two friends, the authors of the book. And so let's jump right into it. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. Let me let me introduce your book a little bit, and then I want before we kind of get into the details, I want to talk about kind of the journey in writing the book and so forth, and then we'll actually get into the contents. Let's get let's get some fun stuff in there first. Andy, you looking good? Why is it so dark where you're sitting?
1: Because I live in England and it's always dark.
0: <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, let's. It's the uh, the book is not dark though. The book is quite enlightening. I. Uh, I kind of went through the, and I think there's two chapters that we've released early. And I understand if we're lucky, there's another chapter coming right before the holidays. And so looking forward to that. Um, in these first two chapters, we get into initially the, the just the introduction about the challenges of virtualization, which resonated with me. Uh, we, we talk about this with our customers uh, all the time, right? And so I think you, you talk with some customers that have tried it in the past. Uh, it's not a new topic, right? They may have tried this in the past. And it didn't work or they didn't get what they really wanted. And you have customers trying it right now. Um, and maybe different expectations, uh, the way that it should work or really not sure exactly what, how they should be using it or how they should be configuring it. And I think that first chapter really touched on some great ideas. And then you get into the second chapter where you're jumping into, bam, you know, which I think is, is the the money chapter so far, if you've got anything better than that one coming forward, it's going to be a really good book. Because I really loved the second chapter in your early release talking about the push and versus the pull. I don't want to steal your thunder as we get into it, but I got to tell you guys, I have really enjoyed reading it so far. I can't wait to see some more. Why, why this topic? Tell me a little bit about why you guys picked this topic for this book.
2: Well, I, I guess I'll take that one. Data it has been around for a long time, You know, decades really. We've been talking about it in academia um, and also in industry as well. Uh, and it, it really sort of never worked in the past. It really sort of, there were issues with it. It really, uh, it's much more complicated than you think. You know, it, it seems like, it, of course it should work. Just have, you know, have you did it in different places and have some layer above it and speak to all the locations and it should just work. And, and you know, sort of the idea is very simple, but the practice is very hard. Um, and there's a lot of details that go into it that, that just sort of uh, make things tend to be either complex uh, to use or to install uh or to get running with good performance uh that really have held it back for a long time and what we've seen in the last few years uh is that now all of a sudden it's starting to work like just surprisingly kind of out of nowhere like sort of it's been sort of known as you know sort of like this you know this great dream for a long time it never really worked until recently so you know it felt like now was the right time to write the book um sort of first explain why it didn't used to work uh or what the issues were the challenges were but then what's changed recently uh and uh and why sort of, you know, sort of why it is working now and how to get it to work better now. Um, you know, these are important topics and I think that, that you know now's the right time to write the book. Ah,
0: fantastic. Andy, anything out of that? Uh,
1: yeah, so I'd echo that. I um I in my my role at Starburst, I spent quite a lot of time talking to partners and, and customers around uh, around this topic. And um, I find myself repeatedly repeating this uh, kind of this mantra, I guess, around that data virtualization is now a thing, and it isn't viable. And it's kind of, uh, it, it's, it's a mindset shift, You have to say that quite carefully, um, that uh, you know, I have to try and uh, explain to people that actually exactly what Daniel said, this hasn't worked, um, and people have got that experience, But but actually there's a lot of things that have happened in the industry you know, outside of data virtualization, a lot of technology advances that with the latest technologies around data virtualization kind of come together and, and give us the ability to revisit data virtualization as a topic. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it, hopefully that I won't be repeating myself a lot and we can just use the book. And, and... I
0: um, Let's get into the first chapter there. we I think we open up with five challenges to data virtualization. And I think we very quickly come back and say, and here's what's changed, right? Here's why it works today, where maybe it didn't work before. We don't have to go through each of the five challenges, but what are those challenges still valid today? Or are they old challenges? Let's first address that topic. Are they old challenges, or are they still current? And now we can fix them, or are they old challenges that have now just disappeared because technology's changed?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's still current, and I think it's, um, you know, if you do, if you do it wrong, if you do, if you build a system wrong, or if you use the data translation tools wrong, uh, you know, you still hit the challenges. So I think it's very important, even today, people understand what the challenges are and why, uh, sort of, you know, why they exist and how to avoid them. Um, so, that, you know, I think that's a very important chapter for people to read. Um, so just, me just give me an example of, you know, a flavor. I mean, just, just at a high level, you know, most of the challenges come out of, of the fact that, that um, most of the time, the way data virtualization works is you have different systems talking to each other, right? So you have, you know, maybe a, a data management system like Oracle or Postgres or MySQL, um, or you have other types of, you know, you know, SQL solutions or any any solution that that's, that stores data uh, that may be relevant to a task sort of is, is a separate system relative to a data virtualization system which is talking to it over some sort of communication you know uh mechanism so uh so whenever you have different systems talking to each other they are not one they don't know each other they're not built together they don't they don't sort of they're not designed to really from the beginning to work together then you always have challenges that kind of come into play right they, they speak different languages potentially you you change what you update one system and then you you don't sort of immediately update the other system because the different systems the different people writing those systems uh so there's just sort of like uh it's sort of like a uh, in many cases, a communication mismatch across systems, which really can yeah. can cause problems. That, so, that, for example, we talk about you know one big issue that comes up um, is query optimization. Uh, so, uh, so one thing that, you, that, that every sort of you know any uh, analyst analyst task uh, task that you want to do with a system is you ask a question. And the system decides okay how should i answer this question what are the processes in place to answer this question You do this and then do this and then do this whatever the, you know, the different algorithms for, for answering this question uh and you have to decide which one to do which which of these which are these options to uh uh to, to choose to, to answer the question uh and the problem is is that in order to, to choose which one to, to use you have to understand the costs of the options right so if i do this it'll cost this much as far as money or as far as time or as far as uh um, you know other key resources, memory and so on that, that we need to to uh, to be aware of. Uh, and if if you're, it's very hard to predict in a different system what resources are they going to use. Are they going to use a lot of memory? Are they gonna use a lot of CPU? Are they going to be slow for this algorithm, other algorithm? Uh, so you so it's just very hard when dealing with different systems to be able to predict how a different system is going to run a particular option that you think it's considering to to answer a question. Uh, and that uh, you know that uh, that problem has existed for decades. Um, yes. it, it was two, two decades ago, one decade ago, three decades ago, and even now it still exists. But um, that's one, on. one of the things that comes up.
0: Th- that's the pain point we I hear all the time, right? If, uh, people that have tried this in the past, that federation across a lot of systems, um, and, and they'll get burned because they're either unable to communicate with the system, or they're unable to optimize how they communicate and who does what, right? you're doing too much on your end, or I'm doing too much on my end, or you promise that you can deliver X, and then something fails, right? Because of that communication, because of that lack of optimization, ultimately uh, you're not able to get the performance or, and this is the key, right? Or the cost that you're looking for, right? You end up spending way too much and waiting way too long. And then you look back and say, well, yeah, I should have just done it the old way, so to speak. Yeah, and so, but that's not the case anymore, right? Today, if we say, okay, well, hold on a second. Let's take a look at that communication. Let's take a look at that query performance. Let's take a look at how we kind of manage. There are new capabilities, new technologies, as you referred to in your book, that kind of allow us to then start to overcome that. Andy, talk, can you talk a bit about what what we're doing differently?
1: Uh, Well, so I think I think then you start getting into kind of the, 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 the second chapter that we've, we've kind of released, and you start getting into the push and pull-based... Kind of a
0: little. Where'd you get the um, push versus pull? Is that? And I, I love okay. the way you this, frame that up. This is this
1: is uh, this is Daniel's. Uh, Daniel, that's, wrong, that's
0: fantastic. And you, I love I even mean, like the little wedding analogy you use in there, right? Because you know, uh, it just it it makes a lot of sense. But framing it up that way, and it's it's simple language. Sometimes we need simple language to understand some. Because don't get me wrong, there's this is a technical book. I'm not trying to scare anybody away, uh, but there's some stuff in here that you you maybe you read it twice i read a couple of paragraphs twice to really understand what you were talking about but when you put the analogy in there it's like oh, i get it I, and, and now i've got a picture to frame the ideas on so i like the way you did that but push versus pull i think that makes a lot of sense and maybe you can, hopefully you're going to you're going to put a patent on that so so you can live Kind of based on day. that feedback,
1: uh, based on that feedback, I think we need to rewrite some of the words if it if it was difficult to understand. That that's what no, I'm getting from this.
0: No, not uh, difficult to understand. Hey, I, I'm not nearly I don't have the brains that you guys have, right? You guys have the big brains, and sometimes when you're reading a book written by somebody with big brains, it's it's uh, you read it twice.
1: But so unless- what, if, if I just uh, if I just summarize the push and pull thing at a very high level, because just you know, I think it might be useful. So, so if we think about pushing. In a data virtualization, we're, what we mean by that is broadly we're pushing processing into underlying platforms, underlying data stores and data engines, and then pulling is the reverse, right? So we're we're lifting that data and processing it in a, in the data virtualization, uh, and then there's the kind of the hybrid approach, which is doing a little of both, right? Where it kind of makes sense, and this gets a little bit back to some of the uh, I guess the optimization and the cost. Time pieces that Daniel just mentioned, where in some cases you it makes a lot more sense to push processing down and have it processed, you know, have the processing happen where the data is. In some cases, it makes sense to do the reverse, and in some cases, it makes sense to do a bit of both. Um, and that's quite a difficult problem to 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 solve. Um, but with you know newer technologies, and, and I'll mention something like one of them, like faster networks, right? So so. Um, if we consider the performance of networks, you know, if I go back to you know when I started, it was when I started in the industry. It was always you know we we send the data over a network or even on discs or, or CDs or whatever because the the network bandwidth wasn't up to it, and then we get all the data into a thing, into a place, and then we process it. But you know with with the, the networks have come on leaps and bounds, and if you look at the infrastructure you know, that lives behind the cloud platforms. They're, they're not putting disk, uh, sorry, data on disks, and those disks uh, being attached to CPUs. That data lives quite some far away from the from the CPUs, right? Even if it's in the same data center, and so there's tremendous uh, networking between those. And so, if we're able to move data across uh, platforms between a, a data an underlying data platform and a, and a data virtualization platform, and we're able to do that very fast, then that gives us options. In where the processing occurs, that perhaps we wouldn't have had maybe you know, even five,
0: maybe ten years ago. Let me play back what I took away from that chapter, and, and correct me on the parts that I missed, or maybe you can applaud that I that I even Adrian understood. The yeah, well, if, if you
1: read it, then then that'll be a, a step up from the normal data book club things that we do together.
0: Indeed, indeed, yeah, <laughs> I. Uh, so let's the, the push set, right? And what I like about the way the chapter is written as well is that I don't, I don't think you guys, um, the intention wasn't to say one's better than the other. In fact, I would say the opposite. I think you did your best to keep them fairly neutral to say, look, here's two ways to do it and here's a hybrid. And if I'm talking about push, really what I'm talking about is trying to figure out, I think you talked about three alternatives. Either I'm, pushing data from source A to source two and letting source two do it, or I'm pushing data from source two to source one and letting source one do it, or I'm trying to do part of it myself. And so there's primarily push first one source to another. And the challenges there obviously is it's sometimes those sources don't want to do the work or they're unable to do the work or moving that data across different sources creates challenges. I've seen that in real life and I understand those challenges that resonated with me. And then when you're talking about the pool, you're saying, well, hold on a second. Um, Sometimes it makes much more sense to enable a central you you call it your book you refer to it as a dv engine to allow the data virtualization engine to do all the compute or it's pulling and it's doing the compute um and that you read that and you're like yeah that's brilliant let's do that all the time but then you're you're fair in your assessment you're like hold on a second but sometimes it makes more sense for the source to do it if you've got an mpp back-end source system that was designed to do that work, why wouldn't you leverage it, right? And so I, I like the way that you guys present. The hybrid to say is in a hybrid, maybe maybe that hybrid section should be re- retitled ideal, but in an ideal situation, you're like, hold on, I want the best of both worlds. Maybe I wanna do most of the compute where it makes most sense, but if I've got a backend system that's powerful, that already has the data, that can do all the processing on its own to limit how much I have to send back to the central node, so to speak, and I balance that with a worker environment where I've got multiple systems that can scale up or down to do the work that it needs to. Centrally, bam! Right now, now you step back and say, "I, I solved the data, the problem of moving data. I solved the scalability issue, um, and I'm able to communicate effectively with the systems, I'm not asking them to do any more than they were designed to do." Now, now you sit back and say, "Hold on a second, I, I've got, I've got something that works here." Give me chapter three, right? Because <laughs> I'm ready for the next one. But I, uh, I I'll, let me let me pause. Did I understand it, Daniel and Andy? Did I understand it correctly?
2: Yeah, it's very nice, Adrian. I I think you, I think you really got the the, the main gist of, of of the second chapter. I was I was I just fixed one thing. Uh, basically, everything was great. I mean, I, you know, but uh, just one 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 quick fix is just that when it comes to the push model, what really pushing is code rather than data. The pulling is you are pulling data but the push is we're pushing code down. In other words, we're saying, you do this work. Here's the work I want you to do, and I want you to do it. And you push the code down, and then the underlying system does the work, and then then, uh, sends a result. Usually, the results are smaller than actual raw data. So most of the time, the push model results in less data being sent over the network, uh, which is why it used to be so popular, Uh, whereas pull is pulling the the raw data out, which is usually much bigger. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, because Andy said, the networks have gone much faster, um, that you know the pull makes more and more sense, and the key thing that pull does, which we haven't mentioned yet, but I think just to tie this back to what I was talking about before, is that uh, when you're pulling data, most of the work is being done by the same system, right? The DB engine or or or, uh, um, or or the system that's receiving the data over the network. So if it's doing most of the work, then the sort of less sort of like you know complexity. you know it's, it has to consider about what has what is doing. It has to, it doesn't have to worry so much about what, what's being sort of uh, done by other systems, which is much more complicated um so you know so in this trade, as you said adrian you know it's, it's not always there's no one right answer sometimes push is best sometimes pull is best yeah. and hybrid is you know towards the ideal way so decide on the fly which which is best for a particular situation i think that is sort of the direction the industry is going uh but it, it's uh but you know there are complexities there as well it's still not so not so straightforward uh, so, just, yeah. I, sorry, go, go ahead. Sorry. I
1: was just going to expand when you said on the fly. And I think that's a really important point, right? Because it's it's at a query level. If the determination should be at a query level for optimum results, right? So if some queries are going to work best in one mechanism and some queries in a different mechanism, and then I think
0: that, that, that
1: adds to the complexity, but that also adds to the benefit.
0: There was a couple of other um, pieces there that were introduced that I think, I suspect, are going to come up further uh, in the book that I think are super important that, that maybe we, we're just scratching the surface on now. And we won't get into detail here, but we'll save it for the next one. But catalogs, right? You, you introduce, when you're talking about the push, you show some screenshots of uh, catalogs, right? And super important, right? And then you, you start thinking catalogs, you start thinking metadata. You start thinking, how do I optimize? To your point, Andy, if I want to optimize my query, I better have some good catalogs and I better get some good metadata, or else I'm guessing on the optimization. Um, how, how important is that? I mean, if, can I optimize without good metadata? Uh,
1: so, I, I mean, I don't think you can optimize without the metadata. We need to, we need, I guess we need to think about what catalogs are because when we use the term, unfortunately, this is just a symptom of our industry, right? We, uh, we overuse terms. And so when we think about a catalog in in this case, um, we're thinking about what I would call a, a technical metadata catalog.
0: A back-end catalog, yeah.
1: It, it feel like a back-end catalog. A catalog that um, ordinary users wouldn't necessarily kind of, uh, you know, it wouldn't be something with business context and, and you know, or an enterprise catalog, but but a catalog that makes sense to the virtualization engine so that it can make you use of metadata, you know, for connections out to underlying platforms, uh, perhaps for statistical data about the data in the different platforms. Um, clearly, if you want to make the best uh, decision on how to execute a query, um, then you need to know about the data. You need to know where it resides. You need to know kind of the the, the distribution of the data, if you will. Um, because although there are, as we've talked about, faster networks, if you don't have to move the data over a network, you know, and if it makes more sense to, to push processing down, then let's do that. And the catalog helps to the optimizer, if you will, to, to make some of those decisions. But I think it's, it's pretty important. Um, and then above that, um, and I'll, I'll stop and let Daniel add some in a moment, but above that, obviously it's useful to have a catalog that an end user can actually see because it's all very well connecting up a load of systems but at some point we need to know actually is any of this data you know where is this data and how relevant it is yeah. to my question that i've got a you know that i want to um, answer um and that gets into a whole other aspect which we probably won't have time to talk about today but hopefully on another one another one of these where we get into kind of some of the things that data virtualization as a, as a capability enables
0: i want to underscore that though because super important right it's we we're talking about Largely technology capabilities initially. Right, we're talking about wow. We, there's new technology that allows us to balance how we communicate with the backend systems. It allows us to balance who's actually doing the compute. Um, that allows us to look at the work coming in, and the system can make a decision on how to distribute that workload and how or how to expand the workload. And that's all fantastic. But the part you said there is probably even more important is that the end user, the human, if you will, the the person that's asking the question, giving them the ability either in a, a customer facing catalog with data products or a backend technical catalog with data assets and schemas and tables, just being able to see what's available um, and being able to kind of discover what's available before they start to even think about a query, that's powerful. Because if you, if you don't know what's there, you're not even sure what you're querying, but when you can see that in a catalog, I think that's just as important. And I think you know to your point about what's changed today and why virtualization maybe works better, Maybe that catalog and is, is one of the reasons why it works better is because now we're better empowering end users to see what's available so they can ask better questions.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's all true. I would also add, um, that, um, as you said before, I think you know, you have a very good instinct age, Adrian. That there's going to be more of the catalog coming up in the book, and that's absolutely right. Um, so you know, we're, we're thing, it gets into it. I'm just teasing it, I'm just teasing it. I mean. I mean we didn't tell you this, but you figure it out because it is coming. And the, work, the, the place where it's really coming is when we talk about the architectural principles um, of, of, you know, of the end user. In other words, things like Data Mesh, Data Fabric, uh, where, uh, you know, especially Data Fabric, the catalog is so important there, uh, not just for humans, but also for some of the automation that happens sort of uh, for uh, to prepare data for for the end user. Um, so, yeah, so we definitely will be coming back to it in, in, in later chapters of the book for
0: sure. Awesome fantastic. how How has it been writing a book with Andy? I mean, I can't imagine. see, if we think about the push versus pull analogy, I can imagine working with Andy. Andy likes to push work towards other people, right? Uh, and so how 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 has that been you two working together? Has Has it been good? Well, I, you know,
2: I, I, I thought they only added him, you know, uh, to to the project because, you know, they were afraid that I would
0: be too academic. You know, for I heard he got head head head. added last week just to okay. get his name on the title. I, that's what I heard. I
1: don't know. Daniel yeah. likes a decent cup of tea. And so that's what I add to the project. I'm, uh, I'm able to make a decent cup of tea. I'm,
0: I'm surprised Daniel, he didn't make you put his picture on the cover. That's That was my surprise. I was like, what? No Andy on the cover. I, I, I love working with Andy.
2: I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that he really, you know, Andy really, um, you know, I think he's a very good compliment to me uh, that, you know, that I do tend to get a little more academic in, in my thinking, and, and Andy does bring me it to reality. Um, so us working together on this really kind of makes, brings the book to sort of, you know, both directions, you know, gets the theory down there with, you know, what is, you know, what, what, what are the fundamentals, but then also how do you actually use this in practice? Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, no, I, I really, um, you know, uh, this pairing—I I didn't know it would be so good uh, going into it. But really, I'm really finding working with Andy to be really uh, a, a very a, a big treat for me. For me. Uh, you know, it's it's very it's very nice for me. But the nah. check is in the post, Daniel.
0: <laughs> but but it's a good point, though, right? I mean, here I think it's that's that's a really good point. You've got a nice balance of of, of the brilliant academic, innovative view, balanced with what Andy is seeing every day with real customers and yeah. real challenges. And so this isn't a book written in ivory tower. This is a book that's basically written on the streets, so to speak, right? Uh, so right. yeah, yeah, fantastic. Now, um, I haven't sorry. really
2: had that before. You know, in my other part, you know, usually I, I work in, you know, write papers in, in, in the research world, you know, sort of I'm working with my students uh, who are sort of in, in ivory towers. Wow. So it's really, uh, yeah. it's a new experience for me, but it's really, I, I'm finding it to be very beneficial
0: you've already teased catalog as something and data mesh and data fabric as some pieces that are coming in the later chapters anything else you'd like to kind of hint on uh, just to kind of get the, the audience excited
2: yeah I'll tease the last chapter too um you know that that one is the most fun one that i'm really looking, most forward to writing um uh, which is uh what's coming up next what, what's the future of data visualization you know so where oh. you're we said already that a lot has come, come very far already in the last let's say five years or so is a big, big big changes in in the in the data virtualization world, but there's more. There's more coming, um, and and uh, yeah, I think that last chapter, the future-looking chapter, that, that's the most fun one because you know, it's uh, um, you know, first of all, you know, they, you know, no one can disagree because no one hasn't happened yet, you know, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but uh, just sort of you know, thinking about you know, what's the direction and and, and what's what happen in the next decade, two decades is, um, I think it's gonna be a fun chapter for, for both to write and to read as well.
1: Awesome. we'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to jam generative AI in as well, because you know that that's what everyone everyone talks about those those words in every presentation. So we'll probably have to have those words at least once in in that chapter, I guess.
0: But, but I'm excited about that. I, I mean, let's let's you know let's tease that a little bit, right? I mean, the idea of using an ML engine, forget the generative and and the back end an ml engine on the back end. That would uh, that basically sit and learn about the way the different systems are working and the way the queries are being drafted and the way the people are asking. So, these people are asking these questions. The system is s- distributing these queries in this way, and the systems are responding in that way. And um, maybe considering network utilization, considering location, everything else, and having an engine recommend the, uh, an even higher level of optimization. Is that is that in the future, Daniel? Do you see that in, in, as a, as a as a way forward down the road?
2: Yeah, I mean it's already happening now already. Actually, we're, just, we're seeing already um, you know with um, both in academia, academia and in industry, uh, with much more ML going into the creator uh, which I think is what you're talking about. If, yeah. if you're, um, you know, which which really uh, is making a big difference already, and and is you know the expectation will be even more of a difference, uh, where where especially in the data of one. And you know, one of the big problems we said before is you have different systems. So, and, and different people writing those systems. So, so so we don't, you know, there is no sort of intimate knowledge about how this other system works. When you have ML, you can develop that knowledge over time, sort of, you know, you sort of, as you interact with this external system, which you don't know so well, uh, uh, you know, and you see this takes a slot, this time, and this takes that time. And uh, if I try this, this is what happens, If I try that, that's what happens. Over time, you learn how to knock the system in a more optimal way. And then you start seeing uh, much better performance, even in push-based systems.
1: Hmm. If I was to, um... If I was to take the ML uh, subject and bring it up one level, so not in the optimizer, um, and uh, I'm not sure where this is going to go in the book yet in terms of chapters, but but I think there's, a, there's an interesting discussion about if we... Historically, there's been a lot of data engineering to build features, but then... You know, uh, inform the the rest of that data science lifecycle process. So then we we build our models to you know prediction or propensity to to buy or whatever it is. Um, but we have to have the data first. And and you know, historically, a lot of time has been spent building that data to to give us the platform to build the models. Um, I uh, I think there's a real um, there's, uh, there's a really impetus, in my opinion, for for using data virtualization for that part of that model building process, right? So where the data engineers, the data scientists can grab uh, data, sorry, my son's just come and uh, destroyed my desk, Um, where where the data scientists, data engineers can come and grab data really quickly using the data virtualization tools, uh, build the features very, very fast, very rapidly, get into the data science piece of, you know, testing out algorithms and models, and then iterating back very fast, which is something that um, I think a lot of organisations will benefit from. Being able a tune models, retrain models, build new models for new applications. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I just think that's a cool application that that maybe hasn't been uh, focused on enough. Um, but that that's kind of one level up as opposed to ML in the optimising. Uh,
0: let me add something to that. Like I think what I'm you're onto something there. This so. When we sell virtualization to uh, an engineering team or an architecture team, a lot of what we've been discussing in these first two chapters uh, it resonates, right? Here are the challenges. Here's why it didn't work in the past. You've been trying to do that. Here's why it didn't work. Because that's what I, when I read the chapters, part of in the back of my head, I'm thinking, ah, that's why that didn't work, right? And so that's what I really liked about those first two chapters. Um, and I'm sure I'll continue to kind of get those, those moments as I read the, the other chapters. But from a consumer perspective, somebody who doesn't understand architecture, doesn't care about architecture, maybe somebody who is just a consumer that's been sold. I'm an executive that's been sold on virtualization. They have a different lens on it. And for them, virtualization just means that it's going to be easier for me to get the data. right? I don't care about the sources anymore. I don't care about where it is anymore. I don't care about the cloud of the country. I can just get the data easier. If I'm wanting to create ML features, maybe I'm a data scientist. I've got my ML features and I don't really care about where the data came from to create those ML features. And so maybe that's another lens on virtualization maybe for the for the book or for the, the second release is just uh, an executive version of virtualization to say and here's what here's what it means for you right it means that we've abstracted all this complexity so that you can run faster yeah yeah I, I think
1: that's true i don't know daniel if you've uh if you've got anything you'd
0: sort of add to that you know
2: i mean yeah it sounds uh yeah i mean uh yeah i, I think i agree with 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 what you said adrian yeah i mean that's uh i think uh um, yeah, I mean, there's, in general, there's just a lot of, 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 different ways we can, um, we can incorporate machine learning into the virtualization to get better performance in a lot of different ways. And I, think, you know, I think it's one of them.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, look, I, I, like I said, I don't need to oversell it anymore than I already have. I, really, I truly enjoyed it. I'm not just saying that cause you're my friends. I thought y'all did a good job. I thought that that second chapter was money. Uh, I, I that was to me that the out of the two that second one hit hit fast and hit hard so it's so a nice job with it I can't read to read the next one that's going to come out before the holidays and I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it I think we're gonna do this again as you guys release uh, the, the upcoming early release chapters I will tell anyone who's interested I hope everybody is uh, you'll be able to find a link uh, for the books so you can actually click on that link and you can download the early release and you'll also have access to the Soon release, so the upcoming release, so to speak, that's kind of it's going to come next, uh, hopefully in the next few weeks. And so, how many chapters are, do we have in the book? Are you, or is that a surprise? Is, is it fifteen chapters? Is it, a, is it ten chapters? Not fifteen.
1: <laughs> uh, I think we're we're shooting for eight to nine at the moment. It wow. um, it it all depends on words. It's more about words than it is about chapters, and uh, and how we structure the how we structure the words, I guess. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of where we're we're aiming for.
2: I mean, we could write we could write you know five books you know just it's just you know it could fit in one you know in one book so we
0: have to really sort of <laughs> this is, is going to be much bigger than andy's pamphlet that he wrote before so he's excited
1: he's excited oh it's gone i was going to say i normally have my pamphlet behind me my uh, my data mesh for for dummies pamphlet
2: awesome. it's, it's really a very deep subject you know the debatization is just there's a lot to it um, a lot of interesting things about it and it's just uh you know we could go on forever it's just it's uh but that's why it's fun to write. You see, although we are kind of limited with how much we can write, but it's still um, it's still really you know it's um, you know it's a very fun topic to write about.
0: Well, great job so far. I think you guys, re- the early release selection was the right one. I think it's going to get people excited. Uh, anyone that's out there reading, is going to anxiously await the one that's coming. Thank you so much for your time, Andy, Dr. Daniel Lavati, Appreciate your time and look forward to doing this again for the next chapter. Thank you. Thank you very much.